I'll pause and go for our God in prayer. God, we come before your presence with thanksgiving for all uh, that you have done in our lives. God, we ask that you would be with us, um, that you would speak to us this day. May you open our eyes to your word. We ask all these in your name. Amen. So we are continuing our um, story, our sermon series, uh, reading through the book of Philippians. Uh, last week, we looked at how the Philippian church got started. Uh, it was uh, a bunch of God-fearers who were uh, traveling, who were in the city of Philippi, and we said God-fearing women uh, meant that they believed in Yahweh, but they did not convert to Judaism. Uh, and one of them was a single parent. Uh, she was called the head of the household. She was also a businesswoman. Another person who was a pillar of this church was a slave girl who was, uh, who was delivered uh, by Paul uh, from all the things that were binding her and the power of God came into her life and she was released from that. And because of that, Paul was thrown in prison and, um, and the prison guard uh, through that uh, event, the prison guard became a Christian as well. Those were part of the original ones who were part of this community. The church of, in Philippi grew over the years, uh, and Paul actually is very fond of these uh, people in Philippi. They, Paul likes this church. There are times when you read Paul's letters, uh, they're pretty angry. He's like, get your act together. I don't like the way you're treating each other, you know. He's yelling at people, but the book of Philippi, it's, it's a little different. This letter is one uh, that is filled um, with love. It's very complimentary towards them. And last week, we looked at what it means for us to live as Christ and to die as gain, is essentially what we said uh, last week. And we looked at what does that mean for us? What does it mean for each one of us to say to live as Christ and to die as gain? To live as Christ means this, that we are sensitive to God's leading uh, in our life, that we listen to what God is saying to us, that we pause and we go by God's guidance in our lives. And the next thing that we talked about was how we are called to be part of a faith community. Faith community is a matter of life and death. And, um, and we talked about how we need to be connected together as a church. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm grateful uh, that we, uh, as Mount Hope UMC, are together and are connected to one another, maybe continue to grow in that. So this week, we are looking at the sec other scripture, that's Philippians 2. Uh, and I hope uh, that uh, this uh, message that today would speak to you as well. So Philippians 2 uh, is called the doctrine of kenosis. It's a Greek word. It's a fancy word. If you want to bring it up in dinner conversation, it's a great word to do it. Just say kenosis. You know, that means emptying oneself. And that's what Christ did. And we're going to be looking at that. So what does it mean for us to empty ourselves? All right, let me tell you the story about something, somebody emptying themselves. The story uh, comes to me, uh, is, um, happened when I was living in Pittsburgh. I worked for a Christian nonprofit called the Pittsburgh Project. And this was a small Christian nonprofit. We, they were in the middle of the city. Um, and essentially what we did was we would host uh, different youth groups to come 
uh, and we would feed them for a full week. Uh, and in return, uh, these youth groups would go and fix people's homes. So each week uh, we would have uh, for the eight weeks or the 10 weeks, we would have about 200 people that kind of came through. Uh, and they were from all over the country uh, that would come uh, and do home repairs. And there was this one group that came from Virginia, uh, and most of the groups that came to the Pittsburgh Project, most of the youth groups were middle class or upper middle class, and this group from Virginia was no different from there. And they went to this house and they came back and this kid was describing, he was literally horrified walking through this house. He was like, he was talked about stuff everywhere. Anywhere you walk in the door, there was stuff. You were greeted with stuff. It was so bad that the lady that uh, lived there, she was essentially was kind of all the open space in that room, in that living room was her chair. Even right next to her chair was filled with stuff. And, the, and they said they talked about how they can help in the Homeowner said, maybe you can help by cleaning up a little bit. Uh, there was like cat food, open cans in the kitchen. It was, it was really, really, I mean, these kids were terrified uh, walking through the house. And so they talked about what they did. And that's what I used to do. I would kind of lead the discussion about what did you learn and how do you understand poverty and what is our responsibility as Christians to poverty and things like that. That was my role um, in, you know, what does it mean for us to show the love of Christ? And I would lead those discussions, kind of hear from these kids uh, what they did for that day. The next day, I got a call from this homeowner. And this call was not what I expected because I got an angry phone call. Like she was mad. She was yelling at me and she was telling me how horrible these teenagers were and all that they did and how dare they. And she said this and I was baffled. She said, you know, they took all my newspaper cuttings and I could have made a lot of money selling that newspaper clippings. And this was a long time ago. This was before the show Hoarders. Y'all remember that? That show? All right. This was before, before those days. Right? I just was so perplexed to hear one side what this youth group did and to hear the side of what, how this lady experienced everything. What happened to her? And I talked to the leader and I said, like, how did you just, did you just like pick up stuff and throw it in the trash? She said, no, we spent the entire day going paper by paper as to what to throw away. See, the reason this lady was so upset is because all of a sudden her living room was a little empty. Someone came and emptied stuff out of her and she, her identity was lost almost. Her identity was almost lost. Because her house that had all the stuff was now a little empty. It was nowhere near clean. It was a little empty. And the question I think that we need to kind of wrestle with uh, this morning is to ask ourselves, how do we identify ourselves? Do we identify ourselves with the stuff that we fill our lives with? Or is it more than that? Or is it more than that? How would you identify yourself? What is your identity? What is my identity? What's our identity as a faith community? 
that's a challenge that we're trying to understand today. How do we identify ourselves? So Paul shares the story about Jesus emptying himself, that Jesus was willing to empty himself and become a human being. This uh, thing that was read to us uh, this morning uh, comes, to, it was actually a, a, a song that was sung in churches uh, in the early church. If you read it in the Greek, um, there is a certain rhythm uh, to that. Like how many of you like uh, know poetry really well, right? Like sometimes when you read something, there's a certain rhythm to it. And that's how this particular passage reads in the Greek. So Paul is essentially rewriting a familiar um, song that was spoken to them. So that's essentially how it was coming about. And there are three things I want to focus on uh, this morning. One is that God emptied himself, that Jesus did not regard equality with God and emptied himself. That's the first one. The second one is he, Jesus humbled himself. And the third one was that Jesus was obedient. Jesus hem, emptied himself and did not consider equality with God. When we read this, we need to grasp this, right? So when we read the Old Testament, and when we read everything that God did in the Old Testament, that means the pre-incarnate Christ was there. That's what this means. I love this Nicene Creed. Uh, some of you are familiar with this. This was a, an ancient text that was written by the church uh, patriarchs. Uh, and it kind of described our faith. What is it that we believe as Christians? So this is how the Nicene Creed reads. And we believe in God and in Jesus Christ our Lord, the only Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of, same, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. So again, when we think about our creation story, Christ was present in there. Through him, through our Christ, all things were made in heaven and in earth. I want you to think about that. That Jesus Christ created everything. That is who Christ is. There is a way that Christ, God would display his power in the Old Testament. Whenever there was an encounter between good and evil, God came out with all the ammunition he had to show his power and might. And the story that I want to share with you uh, this morning comes to us from 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verses 16 onwards. Here is a story about a prophet named Elijah. And it is, uh, the story is happening on the Mount Carmel, right? So Elijah is a prophet and he is preaching and telling people to follow God. But a lot of the people are not following God, not following the living God, but they're following a God named Baal. And this guy, uh, and there are a lot of prophets who are advocating for this uh, God named Baal and not Yahweh. And so Elijah meets up with the prophets of Baal and he says, you know what? Let's have a contest. Let's figure out who the living God is. Really, we'll do a simple test. We'll figure out who the actual living God is. You're saying Baal is real. So let's put him to test. I'm saying Yahweh is real and I'm going to put him to test. And the test was really this simple. On the Mount Carmel, they killed a calf 
They put it on the altar, and they said, if your God is real, if Baal is real, let Baal rain fire from heaven and consume this animal as a burnt offering. And so the prophet said, all right, let's do it. Let's, let's see who wins this battle. And they started fighting with, they started praying to Baal. They cried, they beat themselves up, and they danced, and they yelled, they cried. They did everything that you could imagine to do, and nothing happened. Because Baal, prophet God Baal, is not real. And then Elijah comes on the scene. And this scene is set up, is, is they're up, up on the Mount Carmel, right next to it, there is a sea. And he says, why don't you bring the water from the sea and dump it on the animal? And they dumped it and soaked it, and the water was running all over the place. And Elijah prays, and God sends down fire from heaven and consumes the burnt offering. See, that's how God operated in the Old Testament. Whenever there was a challenge, right? Whenever there was a fight, God let the pyrotechnics out, right? Mic drop, done. That's how the God of the Old Testament operated. But now let's kind of look at how Jesus functioned, how Jesus lived. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 takes place uh, in the city of Nazareth. In the city of Nazareth, that's where Jesus grew up. Everybody knew who he was. They knew his dad was a carpenter. They knew Jesus was a carpenter. And Jesus comes on the day uh, of the Sabbath into the synagogue. He walks in, and there he delivers one of the best sermons these people would have ever heard. Jesus stands there, and he says, I've come to preach the good news, the good news to the poor, to break the chains of oppression. And then Jesus tells them, that he, has, that he is God. That in the reading of those scriptures, that all, that God, that he himself is God, and those scriptures are fulfilled because Jesus read them. And you would imagine, because, you know, they heard a really good sermon, that they would all stand and applause, just like the way you all do to me every Sunday, right? Right, thank you, I know, I know some of you do that. Um, thank you. No, that didn't happen. That did not happen. This is what we read, Luke chapter 4, 8. And all the people in the synagogue were furious. They just heard the best sermon ever. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his own way. These people wanted to kill Jesus. They literally drug him out of town. They drug him to the top of the, of the hill and they wanted to push him over the cliff. And remember, the God of the Old Testament, right? He has good pyrotechnics. Like, and this Jesus could have done something about it. But he emptied himself. He walked away. He gave up his place of privilege and walked away. What does it mean for us to empty ourselves? To give up our place of privilege? What does it mean for you and me? I know we live in Aston. 
but most of you are familiar with public transportation, right? Bus comes, subways, trains, everyone goes, you stand for a little bit, a seat opens up and you sit. You've had a long day, you had a crappy day, and you're tired, and you're sitting, and somebody else walks in, and you make eye contact with this person, and you know they had a much worse day than you did. It's you giving up your seat so that someone else can sit. That's what emptying ourselves means, that we are giving up ourselves to care for someone else. The next one that Jesus does in this passage is he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became a servant. Jesus became a servant and he served those who he was leading. This one example of how Jesus did this comes to us from John chapter 13 verses 4 and 5. So he got up from the, from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Even as we read this story, and we live in 2021 in the United States, most of us wear shoes, most of us wear socks, and we still kind of feel gross about touching somebody else's feet. Right? And for the most part, they're clean. I mean, I'm not gonna comment on teenagers' feet. That's a different sermon for another day. <laughs> Right? But for the most part, but for the most part, we're still grossed out by this. But I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine dirt roads. Dirt roads in a very dry climate. Walking with sandals. And there's dirt all over. Streets that are not paved. And back in this day, guess who shared the streets? animals, right? And imagine all the dirt that would have been left on the streets that you accidentally might step into. Right? It, it is gross, right? Can you all admit that? Can you all say yes, please? Thank you, right? It's gross. Think about that. And Jesus calls himself a servant. You know, remember the story in John chapter 2, where Jesus turns water into wine at the, at the wedding at Cana? The story, the way it goes is that Jesus' Jesus's mother comes and tells him, do whatever he tells you to do. And we read that the servants, he tells the servants to go and fill water of the jars that were outside. They were 30-gallon waters. They were huge jars they would fit about 30 gallons of water. And the servants would take that water and as you walked into the door, they would wash your feet. That's what the job of the sermon was. And that was part of the culture that this, this story comes to us from. But just Jesus here humbled himself and washed the feet of the disciples. He acted as if he was a servant who had no freedom. Jesus was willing to do that. To serve 
others. And finally, we read that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. Matthew 26, 39 to 45, that's what we read. Going a little further, he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prays this prayer twice. Jesus knows what awaits him. On that night, he knows what awaits him. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he absolutely knows that what awaits him is cross and death. And Jesus here intentionally chooses to walk towards the cross. Jesus walks towards the cross. He says, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. And yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is choosing to walk towards the cross. And the reason he's doing that is so that you and I can live. So that you and I can have eternal life. So that you and I, that our sins are forgiven. That is the reason Jesus does this. So what does this mean for us, friends? What does it mean for us to have the mind of Christ? That's what Paul is telling this church. Philippians 2, 5. That the same mind be in you that was in Christ. In Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God, who humbled himself, and he was obedient to the point of death. What does it mean for you and me to have this mind that Christ had, to empty of ourselves, to give up our place of privilege, to humble ourselves, In closing, I want to share this story. Um, I knew a dear friend of ours. Uh, he was a colonel uh, in the Marines. Once I called, I said that he was a colonel in the Navy, and he was not happy about it. Apparently, it's a huge mistake. Don't ever do that. I, he was a colonel, and he lived all over and um, uh, traveled all over. Um, Bobby uh, was, um, when we moved into our house, Kristen was scheduled to um, into this new house. Kristen was scheduled to go into a C-section like two days later. And Bobby comes up to Kristen and said, I've moved like almost 25 times. Can I set up your kitchen? And Kristen was like, sure. And she just did it. And we never touched it till we moved. She was a wonderful woman. So I was talking to this colonel and I kind of asked him about the chain of command. And I said, how do you address your superiors and he had actually kind of moved up in the ranks like and I kind of started out really like you know at a very low rank and slowly moved up and I asked him how do you address those who are above you he said in a very stern voice he said you address them with respect you address them with respect and we talked about what does that mean and he said you know they've earned their rank They've put in their time, they've earned their rank, and you address them with respect. And then I said, how do you address, like, the Marines are just, like, new recruits and all that? He said, 
I say something and they do. End of story. And we talked about what that looks like. And then I asked this question. I said, have you ever talked to a new recruit like the way you would talk to your supervisor? And he said, I never did. Because you don't talk like that. I think that's what emptying ourselves looks like. When we can talk to those we perceive to be beneath us, to those we think are below us, as if they were our superiors. That's what emptying ourselves look like. That's what it means for us to have the mind of Christ. When we can treat those we think are below us as if they were in charge of us. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day and for your word. Help us to have the mind of Christ. So the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act can reflect you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. At this time, I want to invite uh, us to worship our God with our tithes and our offering. We give in response to of all that God has done for us. Let us worship our God this morning.